Hello and welcome to a special HRD Summit UK edition of the HRD Live podcast. This week, John Ingham, strategic HR consultant and author of The Social Organization, sat down with Kath Bailey, VP of HR, Global Commercial Business at Avon, and Mark Bouch, founder of Leading Change Consultancy, to discuss everything under the sun related to strategy and leadership. Enjoy. So, hello. Uh, my name is John Ingham. I'm a strategic HR consultant, uh, author of The Social Organization, and I'm here with uh, Kath Bailey, VP of HR at Avon Commercial Business, and also Mark Bouch, founder of Leading Change Consultancy. Uh, and we're going to be talking about um, uh, strategy, uh, leadership, empowerment, uh, and how all of those uh, issues relate together. Uh, well, firstly, um, great to uh, uh, talk uh, with you both, uh, particularly because our sessions are on at the same time at the conference. Yeah, uh, so unfortunately, we're not going to be able to see each other speak. <laughs> uh, but at least this way, we get to talk about uh, our own particular insights. Uh, and obviously, the session that both of you two are doing is one on sort of key business trends. And without spoiling the session at all, I just thought it might be worth kicking off with that and um, perhaps uh, sort of picking one key trend each. Um, just as the context for the rest of the conversation. And uh, Mark, I think you've been volunteered to go first. That's fine, yes. So I think the trend that uh, we're seeing increasingly is that the pace of change is uh, getting a lot faster. Uh, so the trend for organisations is uh, that they're going to have to pick up uh, the momentum with which they're uh, executing strategy particularly. Uh, where that's going to lead us is the need to put a lot more effort into developing the leadership capability that can deal with a fast-changing world. Brilliant. Right, I'm sure we can uh, talk more about that trend as we go through the conversation. And Kath? So I think for me, I mean, technology is a real disruptor in organisations. And what that means, I guess, from an organisation perspective is new capabilities. So thinking about how you use technology to really build new capabilities, thinking about how you use technology in order to replace current work processes and ways of working. Mm. So I think, you know, I agree with, you know, the pace of change. And actually, it's the pace of technology change that I think is really the biggest disruptor. Mm. So we almost need a, a capability in uh, in, in innovating capabilities, perhaps. Yeah, and certainly change management, I think, is mm. a, a critical capability that organisations need. Mm. Uh, both the you know the small change and the big change. Wonderful, uh, and I'm going to. Um, so, if you hadn't said, I would have said digital, because um, I think that is influencing everything else. Um, but actually, the one I'm going to focus on is um, I, I think organisations are becoming more social, more collaborative, more uh, team and group based. Uh, and that's partly because of the impact of technology. And obviously now we've got artificial intelligence that can do or will be able to do so much of what we used to do in the past. And to me, that means it's our relationships and working together, which is sort of human being's key competitive differentiation. Um, and I also think from the change perspective, and, and, and let's see if we get time to talk more about it, but I'm really interested in the way that a lot of change management now is sort of how we bring digital champions together and those sort of things uh, and do change in a more social way as well. Perfect. Well, it'll be interesting to see how much we um, come back to and, and sort of reinforce those trends as we go through the conversation. 
Um, but uh, so we're, we're talking about strategy, leadership, empowerment. Um, so I thought let's sort of pick up on the, mm. the strategy piece, first of all. Um, and Mark, um, you know, really interested that I had a look at your site. Uh, so Leading Change positions itself as a strategy implementation consultancy. Um, so I thought it just might be worth uh, starting off with, given the context we've described and the, 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 those key changes in particular, um, which is more important? Where do organisations focus? I, I, what's most important? Is it strategy? Is it strategy execution? I think the question itself is an interesting one because it implies that there's a sort of almost a binary choice between ah. where you put your focus. Is it on the strategy development or is it on the strategy execution? And in truth, I'd never seen it as being mm. one or the other. Uh, you not only need to be able to do both, but actually it helps if the two aspects of it are part of a coherent whole. And I'd quite like to evolve from a world where strategy is something done in um, expensive hotels every three <laughs> to five years. Consultants often involved, uh, and I lose count of the times that a blue folder's pushed across the table with the words, can you help us with this? Mm -hmm. um, so I, th I think that's part of the way we used to do business. Um, it tends tended to result in a thick PowerPoint deck, almost impenetrable in some cases, but then some somewhat disconnected from the day-to-day -day business of people and operations. Mm. So I think the challenge is we've got to get better at doing strategy. And that means both the process of developing it and executing it, but joined together. Mm. And if you were to sort of focus on one key tool or enabler to do that effectively, what would you point to? Um, if I can have two, <laughs> it's the procedural and behavioural okay. component mm -hmm. of uh, simplifying the strategy so that everybody actually understands mm. what success is, looks, looks like, and without stealing Cass' thunder, because I know she's got some fantastic ideas on this as well, uh, how people can really engage with that. So my principal tool is both behavioural and procedural, and it's about uh, a building a very rich picture of intent. Right. And by that, I mean what the organisation wants to cause and why it's important. Mm. And you do that in order to build a strong sense of purpose about uh, strategic priorities and connect people to it. Excellent. But it is procedural and behavioural. Probably enough yeah. for me. I, yeah, yeah. no, I agree, I agree. And I, you know, I think, you know, clearly strategy gives a sense of purpose. Where are we going? Yes. Where do we want to play? How can we win? So getting clear around those priorities so that the organisation knows what we're doing and what we're not doing. Mm. Um, but I think without a real focus on execution, it just becomes a dream versus a reality. Um, and I think organisations in general spend a lot more time focusing on strategy development and then almost leave the execution to the organisation. And I think leaders all the way down the organisation play a critical role in driving that execution. As you say, kind of the operational, mm -hmm. how do you operationalise it? How do you make it part of the way we do things? And you know, one of the things that we've done is actually linked, actually we've abolished our annual performance management process and moved to a what we call a quarterly check-in, mm -hmm. which almost then gives you the opportunity to really drive execution of the strategy in a much more structured and agile way mm -hmm. and gives you the flexibility to adjust priorities as the you know the, the execution of the strategy continues to roll out. Excellent. 
And how do how do things like budgeting support that then? Is that done on a sort of quarterly basis as well? Yeah, kind of the, the budgets are set at, already set out at the start of the year, but right. then it is reviewed on a quarterly okay. basis. So, yeah, there's, there's a, definitely a link with that. I'm, a, I'm no finance expert, but I have to say budget is often one of the major barriers to executing right. strategy because it, it so often seems to be put together against a different set of assumptions. And when you, for example, you have a, a hypothetical organisation, so I'm not going to name names, five strategic priorities. Those had been carefully worked through as the, the all-important imperatives that were going to deliver a very traditional business uh, through a sort of digitization and uh, you know, a completely different uh, operating model. But if you then ask the question, where's the budget associated oh. with those five imperatives and how is that uh, cascaded through the organization? Very, very difficult question to answer because the budgets were allocated functionally and it was very hard to see a connection between the two. Um, I, w I wouldn't make a sort of strong advert for the concept of beyond budgeting, but I do think we have to move into a more flexible system yeah. where uh, the the budget is better tied to strategic priorities. Yeah, and I th and I think that's why it's important to link to link it to the goals of you know the associates, the leaders, and what they're on point for delivering. I think that they're Absolutely. the two, yeah, the which two we're going to be talking about in a minute. Yes. Um, let me just because um, just to make sure. Um, we're, we're, we're challenging each other appropriately and, and um, ensuring that we've got an interesting podcast for people to listen to. Um, so I'm going to disagree with you both. Well, I mean, firstly, I have to agree clearly that it's both. You know, it has to be, I mean, doesn't it? I'm, I'm pleased you said it was an interesting question. And in, in many ways, I think it's a rather daft one because clearly you need to do both. Um but um, yeah, my focus is on strategy, and I, I take what you were saying, Kath, and just sort of twist it round. That unless the strategy is effective, then simply executing it isn't going to get you anywhere either. Mm -hmm. um, so my own focus, um, and uh, one of the main areas that I encourage HR people in particular to put more focus on, is thinking about um, creating competitive differentiation and um, sort of people-based business strategy by what we're doing with people and the organisation. So I think part of the reason that there's so much focus on strategy execution rather than strategy these days is that we know that simply focusing on things like competitive positioning don't work that well, which is why you've got people like Rita McGrath talking about the end of strategy. To me, they've simply missed the way that the focus of strategy is changing and the, the focus is very much internal these days. It's on creating the right people with the right capability and the right engagement. And then if we do that, the rest follows. Now, clearly, execution is still important. And uh, the tool that I'd mentioned that I work with clients on is a very simple sort of one-page framework to just specify what are the main things we're focused on. Because I think if you've got that, then that guides everybody else's action and perhaps it's that sort of procedural and behavioural piece again. Whereas I think if you've got a 200-page plan, you've got no plan. Um, so... Um so yeah. I'm, I'm quite happy to come on. And I was enjoying our violent agreement, by the way. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> but um, 
No, absolutely uh, agree with the need to simplify strategy to the mm. point where you can explain what success looks like on a page. I think the next step, which I might have signposted a little bit with the procedural thing, and okay. where, where unfortunately we're going to end up violently agreeing again, oh. is the idea of having a method for uh, not just cascading in a sort of one-way conversation, but a much more engaging conversation. I know Kath's going to have some, some great mm. views about this. Uh, how you can engage people. So at the end of the process... They are crystal clear what their contribution is to the overall intent. And strategy, therefore, provides them with some handrails, a framework within which they can exercise independent judgment. Uh, and they can use freedom, adapt as the situation changes. And I think that's where uh, execution too often fails. The strategy is too de detailed, yes. too complex, too rigid, and it actually constrains people rather than enables them and frees mm. them up. Yeah. But I think, you know, your point, because I think in, in my mind, when I think about strategy, I am thinking about not only the business choices, but also then what does it mean for capabilities? What does it mean for people? Yes. What does it mean for how we're organised? And then what does it mean for then kind of the focus of priorities? So, you know, I think if you broaden it like that, then I think we're, we're, we are saying the same thing, I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah possibly, <laughs> yes. So essentially what we're trying to do is yeah. to balance both the strategic aims with the opportunities that exist in the market, which is the, you know, yeah. if you like, might be the competitive piece and the capabilities. And those three things, surely it's like a holy trinity. Oh. They have to be in balance. Yeah. Otherwise, we've got an organisation that's simply not setting itself up for success. Yeah, and I think to your point earlier around the operational side, for, for me, really making sure that it's embedded in the way we do things oh. and aligns with the business priorities, right? So it can't be kind of a... Uh, sort of something over there that's very separate from the business operating model and what we're about. It sounds, it, I mean, that sounds so much like common sense, but I just, you know, by <laughs> observation, it's obviously not commonly applied. It's um, not, is it? Which might influence our next topic, of course. So I think we've helped, we've, we've clarified the whole agenda around strategy and strategy execution for everybody. Um, but absolutely, you know, if we need to present that in the right way, Clearly, if there's one group that are going to take that forward, it is the well, the business and the HR leadership. Um, so, what are your thoughts there? Do we have, have have we defined leadership effectively? Do we have the right people in leadership roles? Um, are, are they effective in developing the right procedural and behavioural context for strategy and strategy execution? Uh, yeah, calf. Yeah, I, I think it, I think it's an interesting one because I think people talk about strategic leadership mm. as though it's a role uh, versus a sort of a style or capability that you build. And you know what I often see is sometimes you know senior leaders uh, think that they can delegate then the execution. We develop the strategy at a senior level and then we delegate it down the organisation. Versus actually, there's a role for all leaders in mm. execution. And for me, I'll come back to, I do think the execution really needs to be managed well in order to then deliver what the strategy was expected to deliver. Indeed. Um, and isn't it, I mean, I think, because one of the changes to me is, um, I don't know if it's part of those changes we talked about originally or, 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 or something else, but, um, uh, I, I, you know, there is a, a decline in trust around the world. And I think the the way that we get people 
involved in strategy execution now perhaps has changed as well. So whereas, uh, and perhaps this is just the way that I used to do change management a bit inappropriately, um, but I think, you know, there used to be a lot of uh, sort of getting the chief executive to go, you know, or the, would take the executive away on a away day, they'd develop their grand strategy and then they'd come back to the organisation and announce this is the strategy and this is what we need everybody to do. And I think these days there's just a tendency for everybody to sort of look back at the executive team and think, well, you know, if you get paid that much, you can go away, do it. I'm, I'm just going to you know, hide and, and sort of wait to see what happens. Um, so to me, the, the whole focus of strategy execution these days has to be much more about um, engaging people to decide together what the strategy is going to be rather than doing that secret squirrels decision and then trying to engage everybody after the event. I don't, I'm not sure that works yeah. so well anymore. Yeah, and I think there's an expectation, I guess, from the, the leadership team to mm. have a view about where the business needs to go. So I think the leadership team coming with something, they've thought about it, they've done internal, external benchmarking, and they've come and said, OK, here's the direction, here's what we think is the right choices. I think where I've seen it work well in terms of engagement is really engaging the organisation then with the strategy choices that have been made. So, for example, one of the things that I've used is the idea of a game where actually associates can discover the, the strategy through a series of challenges. We give them the same data that the senior leadership team have and then from that they, they work through their own strategy. Now, there's some risk with that because certainly, you know, the group of leaders I did this work with, there was some concern about, well, what if they don't get to the same answer mm. as us? <laughs> yeah, what? Right? <laughs> and actually, I said, well, you know, if, if they don't, then they might have some different insights that we haven't Absolutely. thought about. In reality, mm. as we rolled this out, actually, the data was very, very clear and very compelling. Mm. And the strategy choices were really reinforced. The associates then bought into that. And what we did at the same time was then say, OK, what does it mean for me? Mm. So if they're, they're the choices that we're making, then how do you internalise that? How do you really then think mm. about what does it mean in my organisation? Mm. So actually both the discovery enabled the engagement and also validated and built confidence that the mm. leadership team had made the right choices. Wow. That and was that a board game or was. On, was a, a board was. game? Yeah. And sort of a one day thing? Yeah, so we did a series of roadshows right. sort of really around the around the world in in order to fully engage Ooh. versus the usual style of I mean, certainly the company it was a previous company, it was PowerPoint slides, it would have yeah. been leadership team presenting. And this was a very different way oh, of thinking. What a great idea. And, and to translate something that can be seen yeah. as quite dry yes. and ephemeral into yeah. something sort of real and yeah. a bit fun as well. Great. I think that sounds like a very marketable product as well <laughs> for a consultancy cast. Maybe we should talk more later. Um, I completely uh, agree that the core of this is how do you engage people, not just about this is what the strategy is. We've been told clearly and we understand it. But do we understand it viscerally? Do we understand the need for it? Um, and I think leadership does have, uh, senior leadership does absolutely have a responsibility to think about the what and the why. Mm. But then the point, the latest possible point of transition has got to be to work out the how. Um, number of techniques, I, I, I uh, would very much like to hear more about the, mm. you know, the board game idea. Yeah. Um, you know, similarly, we've used uh, experiential workshops to get people involved in discussing what does the what and why really yes. mean. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, you know, how how can we get people to relate more closely to it and then work out the how yeah. for themselves with an iterative process where they can have that discussion about yeah. the how 
with, if you like, the senior management that is is used to in your mm. model, your old model, John, owning the strategy, yes. but now needs to be sharing it. I think much earlier. Mm. Um, I, I think early engagement, uh, so that everybody really understands the why. And that ownership, I think that really I think that's great because that drives the ownership, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Because then when it comes to the process somewhere downstream where the strategy is being executed and you sort of want to make sure that people's individual objectives align to the strategy, you can have a great deal more mm. confidence that that's the case if they've been involved in um, engaging in the what and why and deciding the how right from the earliest, yeah. uh, earliest stages. And you know, we often end up with a conversation with, uh, similar conversation with uh, senior leaders that sort of say, yes, but all of my instinct is saying I know how to do the how I've got the experience yes. and knowledge so, yeah, okay write it down if it makes you feel better but put it in your back pocket yeah. and then ask some smart questions around it when you're engaging people yes okay so that can we because I, I, we have sort of talked about this but can we just go back to that point about the, the people and mindset then because mm. I, I, mm. I think that point and, and, and your um, uh, point earlier Kath that um, you, you know, leaders say, well, what happens if they make the, the, the wrong choice? Because <laughs> um, in a sense, we we select and develop a lot of people, particularly as senior leaders in the organisation, uh, because, you know, they're very decisive and they've um, had experience of developing strategies mm. themselves and, and implementing them effectively. But now we're, in a, in a sense, we're asking for very different types of behaviours and involvement. Yeah. And that's a bit of an issue very often, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think um, you know certainly from a from a from a leadership perspective. Yeah, um, as you said, um, getting leaders to chill a bit and understand that they've they've got to be there as a facilitator and a you know a servant leader and helping develop communities and developing the, the communities to come up with their own. Um, their, their own ways forward. That's a very different way to lead than I think traditionally in Western society, at least, we've tended to focus on previously. Yeah, and, it's in, and for me, it is the difference between leadership and management, right? Yeah, actually, that, that balance of, you know, in, in execution terms, as we were talking about earlier, that requires some management as well as leadership. Yeah. The winning hearts and minds mm. is really, the, the, for me, the leadership that is required to drive that. And that requires the humility mm. to kind of really say, hey, you know, we may not have this completely right. We're looking for input. Mm. Um, I think the the idea that actually we don't have all of the answers and actually we want to utilise the organisation, yeah. yes. you know, and, you know, smart people in the organisation to help us kind of fix the problems. And, um, you know, one of the things we've used are, you know, it's kind of more agile kind of thinking working power teams you know particularly where we've come up with kind of hurdles on the strategy execution we've pulled together a power team different functions involved and we literally use the you know the agile working it's a sprint a four to six week sprint in order for the team to come together and come back and present sort of ways forward and their Mm. recommendations so that's another tool Mm. but that it requires that leadership as you just talk about to kind of empower the power team to come back and you pay attention and you listen to the recommendations and take those forward and you've got to be able to free them off from yes. the operational role. If that fills 100% of their time, then they haven't got an awful lot of uh, time to play with to contribute to the strategic conversation. 
I, I mean, in truth, slightly you know, different perspective, but aligned, aligned mm-hmm. to a similar theme. I, I think the world we've ended up in, too many people in senior management roles are focusing too much of their time on squeezing you know, quarterly, monthly and quarterly performance rather than doing strategy. And uh, what, I, what I fear is that uh, this legacy of 20th century management practices essentially combined with technology means that all of the data that's happening on the front line when we're executing strategy can be examined in minute de- detail and the generals in the chateau, some way beyond, behind the front line, are um, having an insidious uh, effect. We've got to you know, frequently come across cultures that, uh, despite denials, look a bit like micromanagement mm. and uh, too much involvement in detailed decision making rather than setting the appropriate boundaries for staff in Value creation teams, or what was the term you used? Power teams. I think we're talking about the same thing, essentially. Be clear uh, what decision-making they have, what power they have. Set those boundaries by all means, but then leave it well alone. Step back, sit on the hands, direct no more than is necessary. It's interesting, though, because there's a real dynamic. I mean, again, you know, back to your point about, you know, to actually lead the organisation and really understand you need to be out in the field, actually really seeing where the work happens. So there's Mm. there's a balance of leadership style to make that work. Yeah. We expect leaders to know stuff, but I think the critical change here is, yeah, know stuff, recognise you don't know everything, but don't tell stuff. Yeah. Do a lot more listening than that. telling. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Uh, me, uh, me too. I, I, I can't argue with that at all. Um, I, I quite often, often express it as it's, it's, to me, it's about leading from the middle rather than leading from the top. You know, so it's, not, it, it's, it's harnessing the, uh, the power of community and helping people decide what they want to do. But it's that flexibility of style, right? Mm. I mean, I know it's an obvious one, and we, uh, but it does, you don't always see that in practice, right? Uh, totally. In fact, that's going to that's going to be my collab at the conference that, right? that you won't be able to go to. So I'll be talking about more social ways of of, of, of of doing leadership, particularly this sort of leading from the middle piece, but also looking at the different nature of groups in organisations. Yes. So you know, if you've got um, still a hierarchical structure and you've got power teams and perhaps some sort of communities for something yes. else. I think each of those different organisational structures have require a different way of leading. Absolutely. And I think that's a really new, interesting challenge for leaders is during the course of a single day sometimes, how do they shift focus and behave in very different ways in, in, you know, in one group compared to another. And it'd be good, to get, Sorry, it'd be good to get your insights. So communities of practice are certainly something that we're trying out, but how do you get best practice shared mm. and executed across the organisation? Because they tend to come together in our organisation to share ideas and best practice, but then how do you really oh, okay. drive and sort of, t- you know, that sort of test and learn and get new ideas oh. out there? So it'd be interesting to see what you've... Uh, okay. I mean, it's often about technology, isn't it? I mean, I I do like the way that this whole conversation is, as I thought it might do, uh, reinforcing those themes right at the beginning. You know, it is about the rate of change, which requires us to do things in a more agile way. It's the use of technology, which I think particularly here, things like um, sort of enterprise social networks or anything help us do something like a power team just on an ongoing basis. So I think, again, it's another key requirement for leaders is that they understand what those technologies are and how to take advantage of them, both to 
show their leadership from the middle to the rest of the organisation, but also to use those as listening mechanisms to you know, involve uh, employees' contributions on an ongoing basis. So technology is both um, driving some of the changes at an enterprise level, but it also has a major role in enabling it. And oh. I think this is a challenge for quite a few organisations, how they can move particularly social uh, networks uh, as quick or keep up with the expectations of some of the people that are now joining the workplace. Mm. Is that uh, They call them Generation Z, I gather, Kath, yeah. but Generation Alexa. Yeah, inf- if they like digital information, natives. swipe right. Yeah, if they don't like information, swipe left. Yeah. Expect Im- yes. information to be available yes. instantly and on demand. Yeah. I-, I don't think a lot of the enterprises we work with are moving as fast and as I they think need that's to a be. challenge, right? Because you know, certainly, just think about the the apps that you use for employee engagement. They've got to be at least as good as what they're using Absolutely. at home. Absolutely. Um, and quite often, in certainly in big organisations, oh. it's the almost the back office kind of systems that really stop enabling mm. the, the you know these sort of new, f- more technology, digital driven tools. I mean, people talk about the new generation. I you know, I can only speak for myself. I get frustrated if the IT doesn't keep up with my <laughs> expectations. We, our age now? <laughs> we may be, but I find it equally frustrating. If you've yeah, got if totally. you've got it on your mobile phone, then absolutely that should be the default in uh, you know in uh, the business environment to enable people to give their best every day. Yeah, totally. I, th- I think these are expectations which are shared across. You know, lots of people across most workforces these days. Yeah. Um, so what else? Well, um, uh, I said at the beginning, yeah, we were going to have a conversation about strategy, leadership and empowerment. Um, we've already addressed quite a lot of the empowerment issue as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, any other sort of key insights, uh, both in terms of involving employees in strategy execution or... I do have one which we haven't mm. covered in detail. And I think simplifying strategy is vitally important. Um, I came prepared with a quote that I remembered when I was preparing for this, and I can't remember where I heard it, probably in my first career in the army, but it went something along the lines of, the best strategy is the one you can remember when you're under fire. (laughs) And uh, that sort of resonated with me down the ages, because if we really want people engaged in it, they need to deeply understand it, and they need to be able to build a personal connection, a relationship between them and what they're doing day to day and the strategic objective. Now, if the strategy is complex and difficult to understand, we're putting a barrier in the way straight away. And I mean, you made a comment earlier on, John, about um, strategy uh, strategy execution and ha- having a sort of defective strategy. Actually, I think organisations with average strategies can do rather well if they're very well focused on execution. But I think the opposite is not true. If you've got weak execution, that's a big disadvantage, even with a very, <laughs> very good strategy. Uh, yeah, no, I, 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 won't, I won't disagree with that, really. Um, uh, yes. Um, well, go on, uh, Kath, any, any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, for me, being able to put your strategy on a one page is key. Uh, um, you want people to, be able to, sorry, people to be able to understand it mm. easily and in language that they can relate to as well. Mm. Uh, so I think I completely agree with that. I think the the other sort of piece I would build in is around 
you know, we talk a lot about growth mindset, kind of employees really open, agile to learning new things, new ways of working, new technology. I think without that growth mindset, it's very difficult to execute Mm. strategy and sort of technology that supports the strategy. So I think building a culture that really enables that Mm -hmm. is pretty key as well. And what does that look like at Avon? So this is you know, something that we're working on. Um, it's a it, it, for, for me, it's about kind of removing some of the barriers. You know, so making sure you know, back to our leadership conversation, really making sure that the environment is set so that people can generate ideas, challenge things that are not working, mm. and come up with kind of alternatives for doing that, and almost being open to learning new things as well. So, re, you know, we talked about the power teams earlier on, really encouraging people to kind of work out of their own sort of comfort zone, work outside of their own function to solve real business problems. And I think starting to build that muscle so that that becomes mm. the, the norm. And, we, you know, we, I'd say we're at the start of the journey. We're still, you know, we still need lo- uh, lots more to do. But I think there's real potential for organisations to really think about how they, you know, develop a growth mindset. I think some challenges as well in terms of uh, how you get uh, leaders already established and senior in the organisation to um, encourage experimentation, to tolerate experiments that don't work, uh, might be regarded as failure. Uh, To set appropriate boundaries so that that can be done in safety. And these are are not uh, leadership traits that occur very naturally to a lot of people. They, they involve risk, they involve trust, but I think that's essentially where we need to be going mm-hmm. with developing the right sort of culture to support the environment that you've described. Yeah, and I think, Jim, maybe just a slight sort of uh, different point of view on it. I think, you know, we need to definitely create an environment where there's room to fail, but you want to have intent in terms of what we're looking to learn at the same time. Because I think sometimes we're not, you know, necessarily having the tough conversations when things don't go well. Uh, So you've got to get that. Yeah, you've got to get that sort of healthy tension into the conversation so that you've got the right environment to test and learn and equally the right environment to challenge and say, hey, what did we learn? What could we have done differently? And it it is a procedural and a behavioural thing, as we've been saying as well, isn't it? Um, So things like the the, the power teams, the agile objective setting, all of those mechanisms mechanisms are going to give people more of an opportunity uh, to uh, uh, to experiment as well. Um, so look, I, I, I agree again on everything. Well, actually, actually, I have thought of something. So, so Mark, um, and, and look, I, I, I do agree. I mean, clearly, we need to keep the things simple. I'd just perhaps add a rider from my own perspective. To me, it's about keeping things as simple as it makes sense for them to be simple. But part of the issue is, I, I think, think that fair. the organisation is becoming more complex. So I do, I think, I think there's a corresponding sort of opposite worry, in a sense, that sometimes leaders can try to oversimplify beyond the point which makes sense for people. You know, if the environment's complex, simply pretending that it's simple it isn't that it's not going to be helpful we need to help people understand the complex environment and then sort of give them the simple rules that i think we were talking about before so that they can play an experiment within that context yeah and i think then you know where it's not clear or it's not as simple as perhaps is perceived having the ability to kind of put your hand up and say hey i don't agree Mm. it comes back to me that having those open Mm. sort of conversations Mm. because otherwise 
you don't you don't fix the problems. Perfect. No, absolutely. So on that piece of agreement, because uh, I think we, we do we do need to move uh, towards wrapping up. But before we do, um, so we we obviously opened the conversation just talking briefly. Uh, that we're, you know, we, we, we are um, uh, presenting or, or, or facilitating at the HRD Summit. Um, and uh, even if we're on speaking at the same time, hopefully we'll get a chance to grab a coffee or something. It'd be Sounds wonderful good. to see you again there. Um, what else? What, what, what else are you looking forward to at the summit this year? Um, I think for me, really understanding, you know, future trends. I think, you know, they pay, we talked about the pace of change, the pace of technology. Mm. What are the new kind of up and coming future trends? I think we're working with the ones that have already been talked about, but what are the new things that are coming up? So I'm really interested in that. And also, I think the amount of change in organisations I'm really looking forward to seeing how other organisations are handling that, what creative ideas, because, you know, there's all sorts of different frameworks. It all comes back to the same thing, but it's that creativity on how do you execute change and really bring the organisation with you. So I'm hoping to get some uh, hot tips and tricks uh, about how other organisations are doing it. Sounds good. Perfect. Well, I'm absolutely going there with uh, a learning mindset rather than uh, nice. where I probably should be focusing, which is on the panel discussion <laughs> that Kath and I are co-chairing. Um, there's a couple of excellent speakers on uh, times of change, how to lead uh, through uncertainty, and in fact, two, I think, on a, a leading through uncertainty. Really looking forward to their perspective. I have my own based on my background and experience. Yes. It is absolutely about uh, thinking more broadly about what other people are thinking about this. Uh, and from the uh, client point of view, how people are experiencing uncertainty. What does that really look like? And what practical help should we be providing leaders to build that sort of capability quite quickly? I mean, so change fantastic. is the norm. Change is now the norm, right? It's the new normal. So. We're going to stop talking about it yes. as change, aren't we? We need to find yes, a new word. We do. Absolutely, that's um, what we're experiencing. Uh, I think that would be uh, quite a useful point, indeed. Um, yeah, so I agree about um, uh, managing an uncertainty. I think that's the Margaret Heffernan session, isn't it? Uh, and Margaret's always a, an excellent speaker, so definitely looking forward to her keynote. Um, and the whole, for me, the, the whole theme of the conference this year about um, uh, human creativity... Uh, I think is a key one, and, and although we've maybe maybe not used the word uh, or, or the term, I think yes. that sort of underpins yes. most of what we've been talking about, actually. Well, um, I, so I think that probably takes us up to our time limit. Um, uh, Mark and Kath, so wonderful to talk to you. Really, really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, I hope our listeners have done likewise. Uh, and just in case people didn't uh, catch your names at the beginning, uh, so I've been talking to Mark Bush, uh, founder of Leading Change Consultancy, and Kath Bailey, VP of HR at Avon Commercial Business. Uh, and uh, as for me, uh, John Ingham, uh, strategic HR consultant and you'll find all three of us at the HRD Summit in February uh, we hope to look forward to catching up and uh, making your acquaintance there uh, thanks so much thank you thank you thanks for listening to this episode of the HRD live podcast you can find out more about attending the HRD Summit UK 2020 at www.hrdsummit.com if you enjoyed this episode you can subscribe at hrdconnect.com or via itunes spotify or wherever you get your podcasts for a new episode every week see you next time